Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Japan has one of the lowest crime rates in the world. In a nation with one of the highest population, it's recorded only 440 homicides in 2014 and a conviction rate of an astonishing 99%. However, until 2005, the statute of limitation for murder was only 15 years. Because of this, some murder cases have never been solved, which makes them mysteriously listed. Number 10. The Kabachu Love Hotel Between March and June of 1981, Tokyo's Red Light District was the site of three unsolved murders, all of which occurred in love hotels. The first body was found on the morning of March 20th. The victim, who is only known as Hostess A, had checked into the room with a young man the night before. When it was coming time to check out, the room didn't answer the hotel's calls. An employee sent to go check the room found Hostess A dead and alone. The cause of death was strangulation. A business card, which belonged to Hostess A, identified her as a 33-year-old hostess at a local cabaret club. The name on the card, though, turned out to be a fake one. Hostess A was actually 45 years old and not 33. Six years before her murder... She abandoned her husband and son and went to work in Kabochu. Her husband passed away while looking for her and her son died only a year later. She lived alone and might have worked as a sex worker and it's possible she picked up her killer at her cabaret job. The next victim, Hostess B, was found on the night of April 25. This woman had been strangled with her pantyhose. Most of her clothing was missing, though the killer left behind some trivial belongings of hers like earrings and her cigarettes. Her companion, who left the hotel after checking in only an hour later, was described as a salaryman. While the names of the other two victims were pseudonyms, Hostess B was a genuine Jane Doe. The police were never able to establish who she was. All they could tell was that Hostess B was in her early 20s. 
Since her teeth were in poor condition and her lungs were exceptionally good, she might have come from a rural area. The third victim was Girl A, and her body was discovered on the night of June 14 of 1981. Like the other two victims, Girl A checked into a room with a man who left by himself. An employee found her naked, having been choked by her pantyhose. But unlike the other two victims, Girl A was still alive, but she never regained consciousness. She later died in hospital before she could tell investigators who her attacker was. Investigators were able to identify her through some library books she had with her at the hotel. Girl A was a 17-year-old student. The day of her murder, Girl A was spending the day with her 18-year-old fiancé. At 4.30pm, the two went their separate ways with her fiancé heading home and Girl A staying in the city. Due to her stomach contents, it is believed she went and bought coffee. Around 6.30pm, she checked into the Love Hotel with a salary man. Within another two hours, she would have been killed. Since the other two victims were hostesses, Girl A is a bit out of place here. She was engaged and a student it is not clear why she would go to a love hotel. Now it is possible that girl A was like hostess A, a sex worker. But on the other hand, her killer might have been a new acquaintance. Girl A wanted to become an actress and the day before her murder, she mentioned that she'd met some people who could help her become an actress. Now, there is another incident associated with the Love Hotel murders, but this was a robbery, not a murder. Five days after Girl A was murdered, a 30-year-old hostess checked into a Love Hotel with a salaryman. This man tied up the hostess, beat her and took off with the money from her wallet. Though the victim survived the man might have been trying to kill her. All in all, there are some striking similarities between the murders. The first three victims, for example, were strangled with Hostess B and Girl A with their own pantyhose. The autopsy also showed that the three women had taken some kind of stimulant, possibly from a drink given to them by the killer. Additionally, the victim's companion was described as being a salaryman in the robbery and two of the murders. Personally, I'm not so sure the robbery is connected. At the bare least, the murders of Hostess B and Girl A are probably connected as they both were killed the exact same way. In an era before Love Hotels adopted security cameras, the Love Hotel murderer was able to slip away undetected. In 1995, the case was closed without any resolution.
Number 9. The Nepei Owada Supermarket Case On the evening of July 30th of 1995, three females who worked at the Nepei Owada Supermarket were found dead on the second floor office of the building. Their hands were bound with tape and they died from gunshot wounds. Fingerprints were found on the tape that were used to bind the girls and it is believed that it may belong to the killer. Unfortunately, when it was ran through the national database, no matches could be found. A safe containing about 4 million yen showed signs that someone had attempted to pry it opened. Since it was known that the employees were unaware of the combination of the safe, it has been speculated that the crime was the result of a botched robbery. However, some detectives do believe that the killer's motive was not robbery because the victim's wallets, jewellery and cell phones were left untouched. In 2009, a Japanese man being held on death row in China claimed that a Japanese gangster living in Canada committed the crime. The alleged killer was already wanted in Japan for using a forged passport. He was extradited to Japan in 2013 for questioning, but he denied any involvement in the crime. When police took his fingerprints and matched it to one at the crime scene, it was determined to be not a match and he was eventually let go two years later. In February 2015, the Tokyo police announced that the fingerprints used to bind the girls were closely matched to a Japanese man who died in 2005. However, that particular suspect was known to be out of the area at the time of the crime and as a result, the fingerprints were deemed insufficient to be used as evidence. It has been more than 20 years since the murders and no arrests have been made. Number 8. Juko Kobasaki. On February 9, 1996, the home of 20-year-old Juko Kopasaki was burnt to the ground. Her body was found in the evening room and was wrapped in a blanket. It was initially thought that Juko died from the fire, but after carefully inspecting the body, they determined that she actually died from a stab wound to the heart. Investigators theorised that the suspect had most likely killed her, then burnt the house to dispose of any evidence. However, despite the fire damage, the forensic team did manage to find some traces of blood and surprisingly, after examination, they discovered this blood did not belong to Juco. Throughout the investigation, police have questioned hundreds of people and also have received numerous leads. But sadly, no arrest has ever been made and the case eventually went cold. 
13 years later, in September 2009, 21-year-old recent college graduate Yukari Ogino was found dead under similar circumstances. The cause of death was a stab wound to the heart and the killer had tried to burn down her apartment building. At first, the police thought that the two cases might be connected and it was likely the two murders were done by the same person. After months of investigation into the case, police eventually arrested 52-year-old Tatsumi Tayama for the murder of Yukami. He was caught on security camera withdrawing money from the victim's account from an ATM machine. The killer confessed to killing Yukami, but he denied any involvement in Yuko's murder. In 2013, the police announced a reward of up to 3 million yen in exchange for information leading to an arrest. Yuko's family has also offered an additional 5 million yen for such information. At around 8am on March 7 of 1989, four-year-old Shaina Matasuka went for a morning walk with her parents, siblings and cousins. After walking for about 10 minutes, the group returned home for breakfast. Shaina stayed outside in the front yard while the rest of the family went inside. In less than a minute, when Shana's family went back outside to get his son, the small child was gone. The family searched the yard and then the neighbourhood was also searched, but there was no sign of the child anywhere. Police theorised that Shina had wandered off into the nearby mountains and had gotten lost, but a search of the mountains turned up nothing. It also seemed unlikely that Shina would have voluntarily wandered off. The family were in town visiting relatives, so he was completely unfamiliar with his surroundings. A child abduction in such a short period of time seemed unlikely as well, as Shina was only left alone for less than a minute. Yet, there were no other explanations and no trace of Shina has ever been found. The day before the family were to return home, they received a strange phone call. Shina's father answered the phone and a woman said that she was the mother of Mariko Nakama, 
a classmate of Shina's older sister. The woman oddly wanted to know whether the family were back home yet. She further explained that the parents of the daughter's kindergarten class needed to make a payment of some kind. A few days later, Shina's parents called the school and they were told that no payments were due and there was no girl by the name of Mariko Nakama at the school. It was never established whether this woman was a prank caller or related to Shina's disappearance. Police were suspicious considering the amount of information the caller knew about Shina's family. Over the years, there have been numerous sightings of Shina. In April 1990, a woman was certain that she saw a child standing in front of the department store that matched the description of Shina. In 1991, someone reported seeing a boy who looked like Shina walking with a couple visiting Buddhist temples. Six years later, in 1997, a man thought he saw Shina on a subway train. This boy was poorly dressed, seemingly upset, and had a bandage on his wrist. In 1998, a video store clerk had a customer that he strongly believed was Shina. The boy bought a Titanic poster and was with a very shady-looking man. After the boy left, the clerk told his manager what he thought he saw. The manager ran out of the store to look for the boy, but he and the man were gone. Another alleged sighting took place in the year 2000. One of Shina's mother's friends thought she saw a man holding Shina in his arms in a nearby coastal town. Although the boy would have been 11 years old at the time, this friend insisted she recognised his face. There was an earlier sighting of Shina in the same coastal town and this took place in May of 1989. This led some to speculate that Shina was abducted by North Korea secret agents. Now, North Koreans have previously admitted to abducting 17 Japanese citizens during the 1970s and 1980s. However, many believe that this number was much higher. Many of these people disappeared without a trace. Shina's family hopes that these sightings may mean that their son is still alive and that one day he may be returned. Number 6. The Nohaya Hill Case On May 23, 1979, 32-year-old Makaya Mizuro and 33-year-old Hariko Nakashami finished their morning shifts at a local grocery store and went over to the Nohaya Hill to collect ferns. Later that day, Mayako didn't turn up to pick up her son from the nursery and the police were called. Friends and family tried phoning Hideko as she was the last person known to have seen Mayako, but apparently she never answered their phone calls. 
This led many to believe that she too was missing. A police search was initiated, with multiple detectives and local residents helping to search for the two missing women. Two days later, a jogger who was running in the Nohara Hill found the bodies of the two women. They were discovered behind the bushes and they were covered in twigs and leaves. The cause of death of the two victims were multiple stab wounds. Investigators searched through the crime scene and discovered that the suspect left behind the knife that had been used in the murder. They also found some small shoe prints near the bodies and a few strands of hair. In one of Hideko's pockets, investigators found a small note that said, Being followed. Please help. This guy is a bad guy. Fifteen people who were around the area at the time of the murders were questioned by the police. And even though they had two suspects who they believe were responsible for the crime, they were eventually cleared due to lack of sufficient evidence tying them to the murders. Number 5. The Nagoya Pregnant Ripper Case A 27-year-old heavily pregnant woman was caught off guard at her home when an intruder broke in through her front door. After a short struggle, the intruder wrapped an electrical cord around the woman's neck, strangling her. The intruder then cut a vertical 38cm slit into the stomach of the victim, before removing the live baby and cutting the umbilical cord. The intruder quickly fled the scene after removing cash from the woman's purse. Hours later, the husband returned home to find the corpse of his wife next to a crying baby. When using a towel to wipe the residue from the baby's body, the husband realised something had been crammed into the woman's stomach. A quick check revealed the intruder had forced a phone and car keys into the woman's stomach where the baby had been. The police originally suspected the husband due to a number of reasons. His wife was 13 days past the birth due date, but the husband ignored calls from her throughout the day. Secondly, upon arriving back to the apartment, the husband didn't alert the police when he discovered the back door was opened. Third, before checking on his wife, the husband changed from his work suit into casual clothing. And finally, when commemorating his wife's death, he poured a glass of wine and dramatically announced, Let us pour wine as my wife liked it. Other guests at the service stated his actions left them uncomfortable as his grief didn't seem genuine. However, all suspicions and allegations were dropped as a husband had a strong alibi for the time of the murder. He was working and his colleagues confirmed his whereabouts for the afternoon in question. Other important facts to be taken into account – the husband and wife were part of Amway, which is a company known for its aggressive selling tactics. 
this concept is frowned upon in Japanese culture. On the day of the murder, a short man in business attire had visited neighbours earlier in the day, talking about Amway and asking if their husband was home. One neighbour would later report to the police that they found this man creepy. Due to the baby's survival, the intruder would have had to slice the woman's stomach with surgical precision as to not harm the baby, and this would have had to have happened within minutes of her death. People have speculated on online true crime and unsolved mysteries forums that either the intruder was a psychopath and had no remorse, as the caesarean section would have been done with surgical precision only minutes after the murder. Or alternatively, the intruder may have worked in the medical field due to the knowledge of the surgical procedure. This murder was similar to a number of unsolved murders that occurred 28 years earlier. Several high school girls were murdered before having their stomachs cut open and their underwear crammed inside. Although the investigation was extensive, the intruder was never found and investigators have no suspects. Number 4. Makiko Tashiyama At around 2.30pm on November 21st, 1984, two-year-old Makiko Tashiyama was found lying face down in a drainage ditch in an alley behind her home. Makiko was unconscious and there seemed to have been an attempt to strangle her with a cord found tied around her neck. Although she was rushed to hospital, Makiko died nine hours later. The fact that Makiko had been playing outside by herself wasn't unusual in her neighbourhood. That despite the streets being busy that day, no one had seen anyone with Makiko that afternoon. Eerily, Makiko had been found unconscious in the alley a month earlier. She had been strangled at that time too and had the marks of something similar to string around her neck. Unlike the second time, this time she had regained consciousness shortly after being taken to the hospital. Immediately after this first incident, Makiko's grandfather received a strange phone call from an unidentified woman. This woman was crying uncontrollably and speaking incomprehensively. He tried talking to her for two minutes before she suddenly said that she was sorry and ended the phone call. Makiko's grandfather had not yet heard about his granddaughter's attack and thought the woman had got the wrong number. For the following few days, he received several more unexplained phone calls Every time he answered, he got only silence on the other end. Police originally thought the first attack was actually an accident. They concluded that Makiko had gotten her neck hooked around a vinyl strap that had been attached to the door of her house. After Makiko died, however, they decided to launch a criminal investigation into the two attacks. It was strange that Makiko had been found in the alley since 
She had refused to go anywhere near it since the first attack. And since there were no scratches on her face, it was suspected that someone lured Mikiko away and then strangled her in a different location. In the 33 years since Mikiko's death, neither her killer nor the mysterious woman caller have ever been identified. Number 3. The Futon Bag Case On April 21, 1996, a group of high school students who were wandering around the Bamboo Grove noticed a barely closed futon bag. One of the students grabbed a stick and decided to poke the bag. When it rolled over, a human hand dropped out and it was then discovered it contained the body of a middle-aged man. The autopsy determined that the man had been dead for about a month prior to the discovery. The man was about 5 foot 11 and weighed about 160 pounds. He appeared to be between 40 and 50 years old. There were several bruises covering his body and it is believed that these bruises were caused by a baseball bat. He was dressed in a suit which had the surname Yamamoto written on the tag of the pants and the Japanese word for next on the other side. The police were confident they would be able to identify the man since that surname was very common in Japan. Strangely, when DNA samples were taken and matched to a national database, it failed to come up with a match. With not much evidence in the case, it eventually went cold. Today, after more than 20 years, the man's identity is yet to be discovered. Number 2. Yoko Yoshida At about 1pm on September 29, 2000, A census taker collecting information in a Tokyo apartment complained to management that one of the apartment had a terrible smell coming from it. When management was sent to check out this apartment, they found that the door of the apartment was unlocked. Inside was the body of a woman who was living there, a 28-year-old magna artist named Yosho Yoshida. She was found lying on her back on her bed, wearing only a T-shirt. The autopsy determined that the cause of death was due to strangulation. She had been dead for at least 10 days by the time her body was discovered. Her apartment showed no signs of a break-in and nothing appeared to have been taken. 3 million yen and a receipt from a convenience store dated September 18, 11 days before she was discovered, were found in her purse and wallet. Police suspected that Yoko had known her killer. Yoko had been active in the Magna community since she graduated high school 10 years earlier, and some have suggested that she was killed by a crazed fan. The police have never been able to find any suspects in Yoko's murder and the case has since went cold.
Number one, the Inokashira Park Dismemberment. On April 23, 1994, in Tokyo, Japan, a cleaner was finishing her shift at the Inokashira Park when she found a garbage bag in the park's trash can. And while that isn't unusual in itself, the smell coming from the bag smelt like rotten raw fish. The cleaner called over some other colleagues to have a look with her and inside they found a human ankle. The police were called immediately to the scene, they checked the contents of the bag and found a total of 24 human body parts, including a shoulder, two hands and two feet. The bag was tied off with a special knot used only by fishermen. The body parts were transported to the Chiron University Hospital, where an autopsy was conducted. The body was not battered and there were no traces of drugs, so the cause of death was unable to be determined. Each of the body parts were washed thoroughly and completely drained of blood. The medical examiner noted that it was his opinion this would have required the skills of a highly trained medical doctor. Each of the body parts were cut to the length of exactly 7.8 inches using an electrical saw and a blunt knife. Due to slight traces of internal bleeding in the muscle tissue, the medical examiner determined that the man may have been cut while he was still alive. Despite the head and torso never being recovered, DNA taken from the remains was able to identify the victim three days later as 35-year-old architect Sechi Karamara. Sechi was last seen on April 21st, two days before the body parts were discovered. Sechi went out for dinner with his family and then went to a karaoke bar with an old work friend. Sechi left the bar alone about 11pm to walk to his home, which was less than one mile from the park. He never made it to his home. The following day, when his family could not contact him, they reported him missing to police. In the months that followed, police would question about 35,000 people, but no one was ever arrested and police never named any suspects. There were reports of two suspicious men walking in the park and carrying a plastic bag around 4am on the day Sechi's body was discovered, but they have never been identified. Every friend and acquaintance of Sechi was interviewed at length and his house was thoroughly searched. However, nothing could be found to assist the investigation. Unfortunately, 11 months after Sechi's remains were found, many of the investigators were recruited to investigate the sarin gas attack on the Tokyo subway, and the murder of Sechi Kawamara becomes a cold case. It has been suggested that Sechi may have been struck by a car and that in the panic to cover up the crime, the killer or killers cut him up to get rid of the body. Now this theory is supported by witnesses that say they heard the sound of car brakes squealing and then a thud, 
in the very early hours of April 22nd. Another popular theory that Sechi had been murdered by a member of a religious cult that he was a member of because he wanted to leave the group and he was killed as a result. Whether Sechi was murdered because of a hit-and-run situation by a satanic cult or by the hands of a psychopathic doctor, we may never know. Prior to 2010 in Japan, the statute of limitations for murder was 15 years. This expired in 2009, one year before the law was changed. What would you like to see next mysteriously listed? Do you have a particular theme that interests you? Contact us on Facebook and Instagram at Mysteriously Listed. We are also on Twitter at Mysterious List. To find out what inspired us this episode, or our favourite podcast if you wish to learn more about the cases we discussed today, and also to listen to each of our episodes, please visit mysteriouslylisted.com. If you like what you heard today, we would love your support by sharing on your social media of choice. You can also help the show if you could rate, review or subscribe on iTunes or your favourite podcast app. Audio production, research, additional writing and hosting is by me, Ali. Our music is by Mayu. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.